If you're visiting this morning, um, our, the guy who usually leads worship for us is out of town. Uh, Carrie Wilson and his family are gone, and so maybe two or three times a year I get a chance to be his backup, and it's a privilege and a joy. I love getting to worship with you all. I want to welcome you this morning and invite you all to open your Bibles today. Um, no surprise, once again to Exodus chapter 20. I say no surprise because we've been going through this book for several months now, and we're right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. And so our text for today is going to be Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. Exodus chapter 20, God has gathered his people at the foot of Mount Sinai. They've been freed from slavery. And the living God, the God who triumphed over all the gods, the supposed gods of Egypt, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who fed them with manna from heaven and water from the rock, is now speaking to his people. They are hearing his voice. He spoke all these words, verse 1, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And now he gives them his law. He gives them his will. Today in verse 12... We read what God spoke to those people, words that continue to bear weight for us today. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. This is now the fifth commandment, and we've been going through the Ten Commandments, and we've noticed to this point that it's sort of broken up into two sections. The first four commandments are primarily focused on how we relate to God. We are to worship him, according to the first commandment, exclusively. We have no other gods before him. We are secondly to worship him rightly. He says, you shall not make any carved images. Don't worship me in that way. That's the way the pagan nations do it. It's wrong. You can't represent me or contain me with an idol. The third commandment tells us we are to honor his name. And the fourth commandment tells us we are to honor God by setting aside time to rest as he did and setting aside time to worship him and remember his great acts of redemption on our behalf. That's the Sabbath. But then starting with the fifth fifth commandment, the focus now begins to shift. It's no longer primarily focused on how we relate to God. From this point on, the commandments begin to show us how we must relate to people. You know, Jesus would later say in the New Testament that the whole law, including the Ten Commandments, can really be summarized, summed up in two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. Love God supremely. And he said the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. We're supposed to love others. Love God and love others. Jesus says, on these two commands hangs all the law and the prophets. These two are linked together. They, they not only summarize God's will for his people, but they're linked. How we relate to others really reflects our heart towards God, doesn't it? So in the Ten Commandments, this fifth commandment is sort of a hinge. It's a transition from our vertical obligations to God to now our horizontal duties and how we relate to other people. And the first order of business, the most pressing priority following the worship of the living God is apparently the family. It's the home. A life that is rightly oriented towards others. 
a life that is marked by the right kind of love for neighbor. It starts at home. It starts at home. This text is brief this morning. It's one verse. And this one verse is broken into two phrases. So what I would like to do is together this morning look at this text and consider how we might receive God's instruction for us today. So let's look at the first phrase in which we find the command. The command is very simply, honor your father and mother. Those who have parents must honor them. We must honor them. What is the meaning of honor? What does it mean to honor parents? What even does this word honor mean? Well, there's kind of a pun in saying this, but it is a weighty matter. And it's a weighty matter because the word for honor here is really the same root as the word for glory. And it has this idea of being heavy, being weighty, of of having substance, something you need to take seriously, something that has great impact. To honor someone is to recognize their importance. It is to revere them. It's to treat them with the dignity and with the respect that is due to them. The opposite of honor is to treat someone lightly, to not take them seriously, to brush them off, or to ignore them and despise them. So we are obviously to honor God first and foremost. I mean, see the first four commandments. I think that point has been made clear. Honor God. That's the first four commandments. But God also requires that we honor certain people, specifically that we honor our parents. And we need to understand that this is far more than just being about good manners, okay? This isn't just about some sort of traditional family structure for the sake of manners. This is a divine command. God says it, and he says it with thunder and with lightning and with an earthquake, The people were trembling at the foot of the mountain as God said, honor your father and your mother. These are not, as has been said, just suggestions. This is not just good advice. This is not just some sort of, you know, tip for improved family relationships. No, this is a command of God. And listen, it made the top ten. Of all the things God could have included in the Ten Commandments, this foundational document, sort of the the constitution for Israel, This is the foundation for everything, and he includes this commandment. And it's the first commandment that touches on how we are to relate to other people. Honor your father and mother. According to these words spoken at Sinai, honoring our parents ranks second only to honoring God. And notice here that it applies to both father and mother. Not just honor your father, which wouldn't have been surprising in that day and age, in that culture. Not just honor your mother the way it might work in some other cultures and societies where the mom is always the matriarch and dad is always the butt of the jokes. No, honor your father and your mother. Although there is an asymmetry in the authority of the home in terms of how father and mother relate to each other as husband and wife, the man is to be the head and to lead and the wife is to honor and to submit to his leadership. But from the child's perspective, both parents are to be honored. Both. In fact, in Leviticus 19, in an echo of this commandment, the mother is actually listed first. Leviticus 19.3 says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. So the fact that father and mother are really interchangeable here in terms of the, the sequence when this command is being given, it shows that both are to be equal recipients of honor. We honor our father and we honor our mother. So how do we do that? How should we honor parents? Well, to truly honor our parents, to to obey this command involves the heart, 
and it involves our words, and it involves our deeds. Honor is something that involves the heart. Honoring parents requires reverence. It requires that we actually view them a certain way, that we esteem them in our heart. It involves gratitude. Parents do a million things for their kids. Great sacrifice. Providing for you. Protecting you. Instructing you. And kids, it would not hurt you to say thank you. And to recognize all it is that your parents do for you. God has given your parents to you as a gift. And while no parent is perfect, there should be some measure of gratitude that is felt in the heart. I'm not just talking about saying thank you because it's the right word. How many of you kids, raise your hand. Have you ever said thank you when you didn't really mean it? Raise your hand. I have. Okay. But really honoring our parents starts in the heart. It requires gratitude. And you know what else needs to be in your hearts? Humility. Humble. Be humble. It requires that we lift our parents up and we don't see ourselves as better than them, smarter than them, or more important than them. Humility is required in the heart. Listen, if you are grateful for your parents, whether you're five years old or 50, if you're grateful in your heart, if you revere them rightly and you have an attitude of humility, then honoring your parents is going to come naturally. It will be easy because you've done the hard work in here. Honoring our parents, first of all, involves the heart, but it also touches on our words, what we say. To honor our parents means we need to verbally show them respect. The way we speak to them, even the tone of voice in which we use, is to express honor and respect for our parents. We should speak well of our parents. Not whispering to your friends, man, my mom is so stupid, I can't believe she would say that. That is not speaking well of father and mother. This even applies to adults. The way we speak about our parents. As you get older, you come to see their faults, you recognize their failures, and you may choose a different path or a manner of life that somewhat goes against the way that they live. That does not justify speaking of them in a way that is demeaning or disrespectful. Our words matter. How we speak to our parents and how we speak about our parents is something that matters to God. He says, honor your father and mother. It starts in the heart. It's expressed with our words. But it also affects our deeds, what we do. For those who are still living in the home, whether you're 2 or 22, if you're still living in your parents' home under their authority, then there needs to be a measure of obedience. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Kids, if you haven't memorized very many Bible verses, this would be a good one to start with. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Kids, God speaks to you. This verse is for you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Colossians 3.20 says it this way. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, honor their parents by obeying them. This is the right thing to do, and it is pleasing to God. And what that means is that if we don't obey our parents while we're living in their home, this is not right. It is wrong. It's wrong, and it displeases the Lord. Children in the home are to honor their parents by obeying them. What you do matters. But for those who are no longer at home, what does this look like? You, those, th- those of us who are no longer living under our parents' roof, our relationship to them does change. 
Genesis talks about how a man and woman, they leave their, their home. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they become one flesh. There's this new boundary that is established. There's this new unit, this new family that now becomes primary. So the relationship is no longer one of submission and obedience, but it still remains a relationship that must be marked by honor. For those who are no longer at home, we are no, we are no longer under our parents' authority, obligated to obey them, but we are still under this commandment and obligated to show honor. And one of the ways that adult parents do this is even by caring for aging parents. In fact, Jesus applied it this way in Matthew chapter 15. He says to some religious leaders who were not taking care of their elderly parents, and they were making excuses for it. He says, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained for me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. It's hypocrisy, Jesus says, to claim to be honoring God when you refuse to take care of your parents. These religious leaders had come up with a loophole. They said, Mom, Dad, I'd love to help you out and take care of you in your old age, but all of this money and all of these resources and all of my time, it's been devoted to God, so sorry I can't help you. Jesus says, that won't fly with God. That is hypocrisy. And Jesus rebuked them for it. So obeying this commandment involves, first of all, our heart. It affects what we say, and it applies to even what we do, obeying our parents honoring our parents, and even caring for them and providing for their needs. So why is it that you think we have to be told this? Why is it that God feels it necessary to command his people to honor their father and mother? I want you to listen to this comment, this written statement on the worsening attitude of youth towards authority. And this includes a statement about parents. This individual writes, Youth today love luxury. Or you could say comfort. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people, and talk nonsense when they should work. Young people do not stand up any longer when adults enter the room. They contradict their parents, talk too much in company, guzzle their food, lay their legs on the table, and tyrannize their elders. Do you know who wrote this? You probably don't. I'm asking a rhetorical question. Um, it probably sounds like some baby boomer complaining about millennials, right? Maybe you've heard this same sentiment. This was actually written by Socrates 400 years before the birth of Christ. What does that tell us? It's not a new phenomenon. This is human nature. Rebellion is in our spiritual DNA. Just like Adam in the garden, we naturally rebel against those who made us and who instruct us, and who place limits on us. Adam rebelled against his heavenly father. And we have that same virus in us. Instinctively rebelling against those who made us, our parents. Those who place limits on us, and who exercise authority over us. We are naturally selfish, we are naturally foolish, we are naturally proud, and rebellion comes easy. Whether it be the terrible twos, whether it be 
moody preteens going through those awkward years, or whether it be rebellious teenagers with a driver's license, honoring parents is the exception rather than the norm. When we look across human history, when we look across our own culture, and dare I say, even when we look within the church, people make excuses for this sort of behavior. We normalize it. We laugh at it. But it is an expression of our sin nature, and it is part of our universal problem, which is our sinful rebellion against God. So that's why God has to tell us, hey, honor your father and your mother. Because our sinful flesh is oriented the opposite direction. But a second reason why God gives this instruction is because the family is really supposed to be the training ground for all of life. Think about this. The home is the first environment in which children encounter authority. It's the first environment in which we learn to relate to other people, whether they be peers with our siblings or those who are in authority over us, our parents. Augustine, the early church father, wrote, If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? Basically, he's making the point that, listen, if you never learn to honor your parents and you can't or won't honor your parents, good luck out there in the real world because you're going to have problems over and over and over again with this issue. Parents are the first authority we encounter, but they will not be the last. This first relationship to our first authority is really a testing ground and supposed to be an environment of learning for us where we learn how to relate to all authority because there's going to be authority in the world. You're going to have bosses. In the workplace, there will be authority. You're going to have authority in the civic realm. There's going to be local leaders, law enforcement, a national federal government. And there's also authority in the church those who serve as pastors and elders, who exercise oversight and authority within the body of Christ. So this is an important thing, to learn to honor father and mother. We've seen in our own nation, even this past year, the damage that is done to society when rebellion against authority is allowed to go on unchecked. Literally, it causes things to burn down. This sort of sin of rebellion against authority leads not just to personal destruction and societal corruption. It even leads to the judgment of God. So the home is the testing ground to see whether or not we're going to be the kind of people who will accept the limits that God sovereignly places in our lives. We don't get to pick who our parents are. Have you thought about that? I know some of the older ones have. We don't get to choose. God does. He sovereignly assigns us parents who exercise authority over us. Not perfectly, but it is an authority from God. So this is a basic command. Honor your father and mother. But what's the basis for this command? This brings us to the second phrase in verse 12. He says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. So if the first principle is that those who have parents must honor them, there's this incentive, there's this motivation underneath it, that those who honor parents will be blessed. There is blessing for those who walk through life this way. The commandment is paired with a promise. 
It's intended to motivate obedience. So what does this mean? What is this offer of long life in the land? What are we supposed to make of this? Well, I think there's two levels to to us understanding the truth of this statement. At at one level, there's sort of a common sense, practical, uh, practical nature to this promise. But there's also a covenantal aspect. We'll look at both of those. So first of all, there's a common sense, practical aspect. If you live your life according to God's way, if you don't do stupid stuff, you will benefit. Okay, this is sort of the common sense, practical wisdom of this command. Honor your father and mother. Things are going to be better for you than they will otherwise. We see countless admonitions in Proverbs that show us the wisdom of listening to and honoring our father and our mother, receiving their instruction. And not only brings joy and blessing to our parents, but it also brings blessing to us. Wisdom leads to life, but foolishness leads to grief and to destruction. So in general, things will go better for you if you're the kind of person who honors the authority that God has placed over you. Proverbs 10.27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life. It sounds a lot like this promise in verse 12. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be cut short. Proverbs 13.13 says, Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. That's wisdom drawn directly from God's law. There's a basic principle of sowing and reaping. If you don't honor your parents, think about this. If you say, you know what, I know God says it, and I know this pastor guy said it's important, but I don't really care, and I'm not going to do this. If you don't honor your parents, listen, you are not going to benefit from the wisdom that they have to offer. You're hurting yourself. And it shows that you're the kind of person who's going to have countless problems with other authorities as well. If you won't honor your parents, then you are proud, you are foolish, you are rejecting God's way, and you are going to reap the consequences. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. That's how it works. Of course, there will always be exceptions. We can look around the world and see that there are some wicked sons who live a long life, and there are some righteous children who die young. But those are exceptions to the rule. The general rule holds true. And this is the common sense, practical aspect of this promise. But there's a deeper sense of this that I want to talk about, and that is not just the common sense level, but really the covenantal sense, the spiritual essence of this promise. It says, listen, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord, your God, is giving you. The word land, the covenant name of God, Lord, and the fact that he is their God, pointing to the relationship they have with him, tells us that there is something here that has to do with the covenant. This is primarily a national promise. It refers to Israel's experience as a whole. It's not necessarily supposed to be an absolute promise for every individual with no exceptions. Again, the reference to the land here connects us all the way back to verse 2, where God says, I am the Lord your God. That's his name, his covenant name, Yahweh. And this is what God has done. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Why would God bring them out of the land of Egypt? 
It's not just because he was in a generous mood that day. He was keeping a promise. A promise to redeem this people and to bring them into another land. So the, the preamble to the law points us back to God bringing them out of the land. But now that we're here in the law, there's a promise looking forward to the place to which God is taking them. So this, ta- this whole promise exists in the framework of this covenant. It's all based on God's covenant with Abraham to bless him, make him a great nation, and give him this land. And it's part of his plan, therefore, for this nation. But it's also an aspect of this covenant that God is making with them right here at Mount Sinai. Keep in mind what's happening right here. God has entered into this agreement with Israel. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And the people have answered everything that the Lord has said we will do. So God's entering into this covenant with them here at Sinai. And this is part of the terms of their agreement. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land to which I will bring you. Deuteronomy 4.39 says, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you. And that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. This is an important part of God's agreement with Israel. Keep my law, keep my commandments, and you will enjoy the blessings of the covenant. Long life in the land to which I am bringing you. It's in recognizing this covenantal aspect of the law. It helps us understand why violation of this law was so serious. This is why the death penalty is prescribed for refusing to honor father and mother. You might say, that seems really harsh, really drastic. Don't all kids struggle with that? All kids do struggle with that. And to help them not struggle with it, God gave them a very serious commandment. In Exodus 21, 17, it says, Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. That's about the strongest form of dishonor you can show your parents. To verbally assault them and degrade them with your words. And the penalty in Old Testament Israel for such behavior was death. Leviticus 20 verse 9 says, Anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. Such a sinner has earned this judgment. Proverbs 20 verse 20 says, If one curses his father or his mother... His lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Deuteronomy 27, 16. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. This is the penalty within Old Testament Israel under this law for violating this commandment. You see, such rebellion against parents was ultimately a rebellion against all authority, including, most importantly, the authority of their covenant God, the one who placed them under their parents and the one who had given them this law. That's why it's so serious. To tolerate this kind of sin within the covenant community, to let this sort of thing go unchecked, posed a serious threat to the spiritual health and the social cohesion of the entire nation. To reject this commandment would lead to national disaster. Later, the prophet Micah would lament the disintegration 
of society that he saw. He saw a nation that was not being faithful to God's covenant, a nation that had rebelled against God. Micah writes in verse 5 of Micah 7, Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Micah says the sign and the symptom of a corrupted and failing society is that these relationships have completely unraveled. That there is no honor. These are the words of a prophet who's watching a nation that has fallen away from God and is headed for judgment. The prophet Ezekiel writes in Ezekiel 22 verse 7, Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. That's his condemnation of Israel. And he tells them God's, God's word. In verse 15, God says, I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you throughout the countries and I will consume your uncleanness out of you, and you shall be profaned by your own doing in the sight of the nations, and you shall know that I am the Lord. You see, their disobedience to this commandment was symptomatic of their rejection of God and his covenant, and therefore they would reap the consequences. They did not enjoy long life in the land. They suffered exile 70 years in Babylon as a consequence Not just for this particular sin of disrespecting a parent, but because their hearts had rejected God, his authority, his word. And the place that shows up is in the way that they dishonored parents. So obeying this commandment was an essential aspect of faithfulness to the covenant. So yes, there's this sort of common sense aspect to honor your father and mother and it will be well with you. But there's this covenantal sense as well. Obedience to God's law was directly connected to the covenantal blessings in this Old Testament system. So we might ask, so why attach this promise here? If this is really just about the covenant in general, then why is this promise paired with the fifth commandment, not one of the others? Well, I think in part it's because long life depended, in a sense, on honoring parents because a right relationship with parents was essential if the faith of the fathers was going to be passed down to the children. If one generation rejects their parents, spurns their wisdom, refuses to listen to their word, or follow their example, then what's going to happen to that family's relationship with God? It only takes a generation for that link to be broken. Deuteronomy chapter 6 speaks to us of the importance of parents passing on their faith to their children. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. See, there's this generational concern. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. In verse 7, Moses says, you shall teach them these commandments Teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You see, this parent-child relationship is supposed to be, in an ideal world, the crucial link in passing down the faith. This generation at Sinai was going to die. 
It was important that their children received and embraced personally the faith of their fathers. Their parents had stood before the Lord and said, all that the Lord has commanded, we will do. But the next generation needed to embrace that same heart, which meant they need to honor their parents. If the kids don't take the parents seriously, if they don't solemnly receive the truth that is being shared with them, then Israel would not last long in the promised land. So we can sort of summarize this promise. If you fear God and keep his commandments, there's going to be a more full enjoyment of his promises and his blessings. For Israel, under the old covenant, that meant remaining in the land. It meant long life in the land instead of exile. For us today, as those who are no longer operating within this old covenant, the principle still holds true. To keep God's law means blessing for us. It means we enjoy the smile of God upon us rather than his discipline. Hebrews tells us that the ones the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines. And he does this for our good. But it can be a painful thing. So it's up to you if you want to experience more or less of that discipline. This principle holds true for us. And it also shows us the importance of passing our faith down to our children and to our children's children. And in order to maintain the, the, the open opportunity for this to happen, this relationship of honoring parents is important. It's important. So how can we put this into practice? Although we are not under the same covenant as Israel, God's will for us today is no different in the sense that God expects us today to honor our father and our mother. And what that means is that, first of all, this commandment is for children living at home. And we have a number of children with us today. I don't know how old the youngest is. We have some in diapers in here. And we have others who are getting ready to leave home, um, but you're still staying there. So there's a wide range in terms of those who still live with their parents. But what is it that you need to hear today? God's commandment is for you, and you need to understand this. A stubborn resistance to your parents is sin. A stubborn resistance to your father, to your mother, is sin against God. And you need to understand that. Even if we're not under the same civil penalties as Israel, I'm thankful that we're not putting children to death because our church would be way smaller if that was the case. So I'm thankful that in God's grace, we're no longer carrying out the civic penalties for these sin. But at the same time, those penalties show us how serious this is. We ought to take it seriously. In fact, Paul describes those with a debased mind in Romans 1 as being slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. The kind of person who rejects God disobeys their parents. It's a serious thing. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. This sin is a serious sin. It gets lumped in with some really bad lists in the New Testament that show how bad a person is or how bad society is getting. We ought to take it seriously. Kids, God expects you to honor your father and mother. And let me say this, kids, God expects you to honor your father and mother even if your parents don't expect you to honor them. Listen, not all parents parent 
biblically. Your parents may not care if you tell them to shut up and you don't want to hear it right now. They may not do anything. They may not not say anything. They may not push back. They may not give any consequences for your dishonoring of them. But even if they don't care, God does. God does. God expects you to honor your parents even if they let some things slide. And secondly, kids, God expects you to honor your parents even when you think they don't deserve it. First of all, you may not always understand your parents. You may not always agree with them. That's besides the point. There are no exception clauses or qualifications here. It says, honor your father and mother. Even when you think you're right. Even when you think you know better. And even when sometimes they are wrong. Even when they're not being fair. Even when they don't understand. You are still expected to honor your father and mother. In fact, even when your parents sin against you. Listen, those of us who are parents in this room, we are not perfect, and we sin against our children. We do. But that is not an excuse for a child to dishonor his father or his mother. Kids, let me give you just a couple practical things, how you can honor your father and mother. Here's one thing that I think is really important. Remember, this command is for both father and mother. Don't pit your mom against your dad, or don't pit dad against mom. You know when dad says no and you say, well, I'll go ask mom because she'll probably say yes. She's a pushover. Or, well, dad, mom said this. And you sort of try to get mom and dad disagreeing. That way you can get what you want. That is not honoring your father and mother. To honor your father and mother means you need to honor their marriage. Their marriage relationship, they are one flesh. They're on the same team. So don't try to get one pitted against the other. Don't try to get mom to say yes if dad says no or the other way around. That's one way you can honor your father and mother. Another way, kids, you need to honor them is to obey your parents immediately and with the right attitude. When you don't obey your parents right away, you're dishonoring them. When you obey your parents and you go, ugh, and walk away, but you still do what they wanted you to do, that is dishonoring them. You need to obey them immediately and with the right attitude. Kids, tell your mom and dad thank you. Show your gratitude towards them. Don't act like you deserve everything that they do for you. Of course they should feed me and clothe me and buy me everything I want and take me to do all these fun things and sacrifice themselves for me because I am the center of their universe. No. Kids, you're not supposed to be the center of their universe. And when they do all these things for you, you should say, thank you. And like we mentioned earlier, kids, speak well to your parents and also speak well about your parents. Seek to honor your parents and build them up in the way that you talk to other people about your mom and dad. And when they get something wrong, when they make a mistake, when you don't agree with them, still speak well of your parents. This command is for children in the home. But secondly, this command is also for parents who have children in the home. I know we have a lot of parents with us here today. How is it that we can love God's law and uphold God's law in our homes? First of all, parents, we need to expect and require respect from our children. Because God does. You may want to be your child's best friend and not want to be their authority. But God's word tells us that we need to expect and require respect from our children. Dads especially, let me speak to you for a minute, expect and require that your children honor their mother. 
If you tolerate your children speaking disrespectfully to your wife in your presence, you're communicating something to your kids that mom doesn't really deserve honor. You're communicating something to your wife that you don't think she deserves honor and respect. And you're communicating something to God that you don't think his law is really that important, that it would require you to step in and actually do something and say something. So I'm putting the blame mostly here on fathers, although mothers, this is important as well. Seems like every TV show, every movie, every sitcom, the dad is always the idiot punching bag for all the jokes. And the mom is usually the chief culprit who's piling on. And there's a lot of room for good-natured humor in a loving, trusting relationship. I love that. But there needs to be respect and honor. Moms, the way you talk about your husband in front of your kids teaches them how they should relate to their father. If you don't respect him, honor him, and speak well of him, why do you think your kids will? And kind of playing off of that, parents, listen, our kids are watching the way that we talk about our own parents. If we sort of ridicule and mock and, and complain about our parents and express our frustration with them in front of our kids, what do you think they're going to do when they're in their 30s, 40s, and 50s and we're the difficult ones that they're having to deal with? Listen, we're modeling for them what this should look like in the way that we relate to our parents. So I, I know that we're probably thinking this is mostly for kids, but no, this commandment has bearing on we who, who are parents and the way that we raise our kids. If we don't expect and require obedience to this commandment in our homes, then we're sending the wrong message, and it's going to, it's going to reap the wrong kind of fruit. I think practically speaking, parents, we need to expect and require obedience. If scripture commands children to honor parents by obeying them, we need to expect obedience from our children. I'm not saying there's no room for grace, but listen, grace is only explicit when there's, an expect, when there's, when there's really a standard that's been violated. Grace can be shown in forgiveness, but that doesn't rule out natural consequences for sin. So yes, grace needs to permeate our parenting, but that doesn't mean that we throw out the law. It doesn't mean that we don't give clear instruction and expect our children to obey. Listen, we do them a disservice when we do not teach them to rightly relate to authority. This is heartbreaking, and I'm not making excuses or making light of this, but we're seeing children shot by police in our nation. Those children have never been expected to respond to a verbal command. Why would they start when there's a police officer with a firearm commanding them to stand down? I'm not making excuses for anyone's sin, and there's a million factors that play into those situations. But listen, someone failed that child. Probably a parent who never learned it from their parent, who never learned it from their parent, who never learned it from their parent. We need to break those cycles. Expect and require obedience from your children. If you don't, you do them a disservice. You do a disservice to their future family, to their future church, if they're believers, to their future workplace, and to the future society. We have an obligation and a responsibility to uphold the importance of honoring father and mother. What this means, parents, is that we can't make excuses for the terrible twos. She's just tired. He's just hungry. They're just in that phase. Yes, they're going to do those kinds of things, but we can never excuse our own inaction as parents in addressing those things and dealing with those things. Don't make light of the preteen moods. Yeah, she's just going through that phase right now. Don't normalize teenage rebellion and laugh at it. 
Oh, yeah, you know, the teenage years, you know, hope you live through it. We shouldn't normalize sin. Yes, rebellion and disobedience is common. It is natural. But listen, it is sin, and it must be called sin. And it must be dealt with. It must be denounced. It must be addressed. We cannot just wink at it or throw our hands up in the air and just sort of resign ourselves to feeling helpless, like, oh, well, kids will be kids. No, we need to deal with it and embrace our God-given responsibilities as parents. And in all of this, let me just leave you parents with this. This is for all of us who have kids. In all of this, remember, our goal is not just behavior modification. Remember, honoring parents starts in the heart. And while we can't control the heart, you can't manufacture heart change. That always needs to be our goal. We always need to speak to the heart, to challenge the heart, to instruct the heart, to disciple the hearts of our children towards Christ, to expose the spiritual issues that are really at play there, that this really is about more than just you and me right now. This is about how you relate to God. This is just an expression of your attitude towards God right now. We need to aim towards the heart. And what that means is that we need God's help. We need God's help because we can't change hearts. We've tried, haven't we? Parents, we've tried, and we can't. So we aim at the heart. But ultimately, we have to entrust the hearts of our children to God and pray over them, pray for them, that God would bring about brokenness and repentance and faith, that God would bring about growth and change and victory over sin. So as we labor to see our children honor God-given authority, so much of that labor comes on our knees in praying that God would do a heart change. And then as we pray, as we trust the results to God, we need to take ownership and responsibility for what he's told us to do. We have a job to do in the way we bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So this commandment is for children who live at home. It's for those who have children in the home, but it's also for adult children, those of us who no longer live with our parents. As we mentioned before, I want to reemphasize this. Honoring our parents involves speaking well of them. And this can be difficult. It's difficult because... Again, as you grow older, you see things in your parents. You realize some of the problems from your home growing up. For some in this room, that's a very painful relationship. There's been abuse and neglect and rejection and abandonment. How do you honor parents while at the same time acknowledging the reality of sin and failure? There is a way to do it. We don't pretend like sin never happened. We don't pretend that those failures didn't leave a mark. But there is still a way to seek to honor them in any way that we can. To seek to express gratitude to God in the ways that we can. Because ultimately, God is the one who sovereignly assigns us to a home, to a father, to a mother. And so ultimately, it is our worship to God to speak well of our parents in any way that we can. Not to lie, not to cover things over but to be gracious, to acknowledge God's hand in it all, to express our gratitude and thanks, and especially in owning the responsibility we have to continue to relate to them as faithful children. Again, we're not in a position of needing to obey them any longer, but there's still a way that we value our parents. And again, part of that is in taking the responsibility to care for them, to care for their emotional needs, 
to care for their material and physical needs. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is part of our duty as those who claim to follow God, is to honor our parents, to care for them, to make sure their needs are met. You may do this directly by bringing them into your home. You may do this in an indirect manner by by supporting and financing their care as their physical needs increase and they need more and more medical help. But we especially do this by continuing to engage with them, to value them, to speak with them. This is convicting for us. I think probably a lot of us are going to go home and call our mom or our dad after this because it's hard to do this well. And we do this even with unbelieving parents. Again, there's no exception clause here. It says, honor your father and mother if they've been exemplary parents and if they're believers. No, there's a measure of honor that is due simply because of the fact that they brought us into this world and God sovereignly assigned us to them. And we have a responsibility there. So God's law, as we've said multiple times throughout the last several weeks, it reminds us, doesn't it, among other things, that we're under authority. And as we recognize that we are a people who are under God's authority, we're forced to admit that none of us have responded to God's authority in our lives as we ought. And this commandment really exposes our sin. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are lawbreakers. But the good news is that Jesus wasn't a lawbreaker. And he perfectly fulfilled this commandment. Jesus obeyed his parents. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says, He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Think about that. Jesus obeyed his parents. And not just as a child, but even as an adult. One of Jesus' dying concerns was that his mother would be cared for. John chapter 19, verse 26 says, This is Jesus literally on the cross, dying says, when he saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, speaking of John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus was saying, I'm not going to be able to care for my mom. She has needs. And one of his dying concerns was that one of his closest friends would would make sure that his mom was taken care of. So John took Mary into his own home and took care of her, fulfilling the duty of his son to care for Mary in her old age. Listen, Jesus didn't just keep this commandment as our example, although it is a wonderful example for us. But the good news for those of us who are sinners, those of us who have not honored our father and mother in all things, The good news is that Jesus is not just doing this for our example. Jesus does this in our place. Jesus fulfills the law on our behalf. We need his forgiveness, and he secures that for us by dying on the cross. But we also need his righteousness. And both of these things, both forgiveness and righteousness, are given to those who repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15 as we conclude. Luke chapter 15 tells us a story. Jesus tells us a story about a son and a father. This son, as you well know, does not honor his father. 
He wants his inheritance, and he doesn't want to wait until his dad dies. So he basically says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you would just get out of the way so that I can get what I really want. And his father, for reasons unbeknownst to us, we can speculate, says, sure, I'll give it to you now. And this son, this prodigal son, he goes off, and he lives for the world. He has all the money, all the friends, goes to all the parties, is everybody's favorite person. But eventually, the money runs out. His friends abandon him. And he reaps what he has sown. What goes up must come down. And that common sense, practical aspect of this promise, he gets a taste of it. And he realizes his error. In chapter 17, or chapter 15, verse 17, Jesus says, When this prodigal son, when he came to himself, when he woke up and smelled the coffee, when he's sitting there with the pigs, broken, destitute. He says, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This commandment to honor your father and your mother is important. It required the death penalty. It carries so much weight. And this son had violated that commandment in one of the most grievous ways imaginable and for the Jewish listeners to this story this isn't just you know yeah kids will be kids and they do dumb stuff sometimes they would have known how deeply harmful this sin was to that individual to his family to Jewish society as a whole it was a big deal what this son did and yet look at this picture of the father who is looking for his son's return who with compassion throws his arms around him and kisses him and welcomes him back. Listen, we are the prodigal son so often. And for many of us, listening to a sermon like this is painful because perhaps you can't go back and make things right with your mom or your dad. Perhaps they've already died. And there's just certain things you can't say. You can't say I'm sorry. You can't say thank you. You can't say I love you. It's too late for that in terms of that human relationship. But that doesn't mean that your sin before God, your sin against your parents, cannot be forgiven. We have a God who delights to show mercy, a God who delights to forgive sin, a God who delights to clothe us with the righteousness of his Son. He calls for us to repent, to return, to confess, and to receive by faith his cleansing and his restoration. 
If this message has been painful for you today, come to Christ and receive the comfort of the gospel. Receive assurance that your sins are pardoned as you look to the cross and see the Father's statement that the Son's sacrifice is sufficient. It is enough. It is enough. We have a God whose heart is compassionate and gracious towards his children. And if you come to him today in repentance for your sin, he will receive you with joy. Not with arms folded saying it's about time. It's about time. He welcomes us with open arms. He is a wonderful and merciful Savior. Yes, his law is heavy. And it's impossible for us to keep it perfectly. But that law points us to Christ. The one who frees us from the penalty of our sin. But who also has fulfilled that law and gives us his righteousness. So again, we come to Christ when we read the law. We come to Christ, we repent, we receive his mercy, and then Jesus tells us, go and sin no more. Live in freedom from your old ways and live in the light and in the blessing of obedience to my will. God's will for his children is that they honor the parents he assigns them. And again, this is more than just the path of wisdom that leads to practical blessing. Friends, this is the right response to God himself. It's an aspect of our obedience to him. So whether you're a child at home, whether you're training children in your home, whether you are relating to adult parents, be they near or far, I hope that you will allow God's word to challenge you this morning, to speak to this issue, and to challenge the attitudes and the tendencies of your heart. Let's allow God, by his spirit, through his word, to change us into the image of Jesus, the one who perfectly honored his earthly parents, the one who did it all for the glory of his heavenly Father. Would you bow and pray with me? We thank you, God, for the light of your word. It is a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. It guides us in the way we should go. It shows us the path to life and blessing. It warns us against the path of foolishness that leads to heartbreak and destruction. And Lord, we also thank you for your word which shines light on our sin and on our need for a Savior. Your word which illuminates to us the light of the gospel. Jesus, who is the light of the world. The one who shows us what righteousness looks like, but the one who also gives us his righteousness. I thank you, God, that you forgive sinners like us who do not always honor our father and mother. For those who feel convicted today, God, bring them to a point of confession and repentance that they might turn from sin and walk in newness of life. Lord, for some who, who may not have ever recognized their sin, who have not ever come to that point of brokenness before you, acknowledging their utter need for salvation, I ask, God, that today you would use this commandment, this this command, among all the others, they all do this, but use this command to show them their need for salvation. Help them to see that they fall hopelessly short of righteousness on their own and that they need Jesus. I pray that they would look today to Christ for salvation, that they would come to you, the Father, in humility, just like the prodigal son, that they would come to receive your mercy and be saved. God, I ask for your grace and your help um, help us to honor our parents when it's hard, when they are difficult, when there's scar tissue from the past. 
We need your help. We need your spirit to do this. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, help those of us who are parents, that we would teach our children and train them and expect from them what you expect from them. That as we hold them up against your law, they might come to understand their need for a savior. Help us to never minimize your righteous requirement over them. Because in doing so, we fail to use one of the greatest tools to point them to Jesus. Lord, give us wisdom to recognize ways in which we have undermined this command, ways we might not even realize. Give us a sensitivity to it. I pray for the children in this room. They would have a sensitive heart, that they would desire to obey. Even if they're not always able to perfectly do it, I pray that you would give the children in this church a desire to obey and honor their parents, a desire to obey and honor you. And Lord, again, we thank you for your gospel that comforts us, that tells us that it's not based on our performance that we are ultimately accepted by you. We thank you for your word that tells us, even though we've sinned and broken your law, that you have provided for us in Christ salvation. So we thank you for all these things, for your word and for your son. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen.